The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Welcome inside the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. I am the namesake. Happy to have you with us once again this week. This is a podcast about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook, subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes, and download us each week. The show drops every Wednesday. And for those of you who continue to support us, we thank you for doing so. This week we'll preview the Ohio playoffs. Hard to believe it's playoff time in Ohio already. We'll set you up for the action involving local teams and run down the games of the week this week. Last week, St. Mary's and Williamstown dominated the headlines and St. Mary's fell for the first time this year to a bigger, more physical, stronger Williamstown team. The Yellow Jackets defeated St. Mary's 20-7. Williamstown ran 43 times for 287 yards in the game and they just pounded the ball down St. Mary's throats. They didn't need to throw the ball on the Blue Devils to win. Of those 287 rushing yards, Trevor Oates made up 189 of them on 27 carries and two touchdown runs for Oates helped power that offense. Braden Modesty got the other touchdown for the Yellow Jackets. St. Mary's, meanwhile, struggled to find their playmakers. Just 11 carries for Trey Moss and 6 carries for Ben Long, respectively. Long did have a good game receiving. Long had 5 catches in the game, so at least they were able to get him the ball as a receiver. But honestly, St. Mary's has to find a way in that offense to get the ball to the playmakers. They have so many guys that are talented as playmakers. Moss has speed that you don't often find at this level, and they don't have anywhere else on their roster. Long is a guy that can receive and he can run the ball effectively. Not that Brennan Boron isn't, but Boron has other good options, and that St. Mary's offense needs to be predicated on getting the ball into some of those hands as well. St. Mary's needed to involve Ben Long more in this game. They needed to involve Darian Borte as a receiver. I got my first real look at Borte and what he could be in that offense when I was watching the rebroadcast of the game on WTAP. That's a big dude, and that is a matchup problem, and you got a quarterback that can get him the ball, so why not do it for four, five, six times a game. I believe they threw it to him only twice. And Williamstown had real trouble stopping the pass. Williamstown's defenders would either come up and overcommit and leave a lot of yardage available after the catch for St. Mary's players, or St. Mary's would get open behind all the defenders. That happened a few times. I guarantee you that's not going to be there if these two teams meet later this season. Williamstown always gets better as the year goes on. They'll find a way to fix those deficiencies in pass defense. But they were there to be had, and St. Mary's didn't exploit those. Williamstown had trouble stopping the pass, and St. Mary's had the key right there, and they were just never able to take advantage of that to the fullest extent. The bottom line, if you're looking for a difference between St. Mary's and Williamstown, it's this. St. Mary's almost never comes into this game as the aggressor. If you were to look at these two teams, you would not have known, based on their body language, based on how they carried themselves, based on their look, and based on just how confident they looked and appeared, you would never have known St. Mary's was the one that had the number one ranking next to the name, and Williamstown was the one that had the number 11 ranking. And I know it's still early in the season for me to put a whole lot of credence in SSAC rankings at this point of the year. Williamstown had played just three games, St. Mary's four. I don't really look at those and take them all that seriously until about eight or nine weeks into the season. But it's just how the Blue Devils carry themselves when 
when they play Williamstown every year. Remember, this is a Williamstown team that had a long winning streak against St. Mary's, and then St. Mary's came back and won six straight after that long streak. But two of the three wins they had in Williamstown were by single digits. One was by five, and one was by just two points. And one of those, Williamstown's players slipped on a two-point conversion attempt that would have tied the game late. He slipped and fell on a muddy field, and that's what stopped the conversion. It wasn't St. Mary's. It was that, I believe it was Dakota Watson, slipped and fell, and he had an open gap to run into also. But now the Jackets have won three straight, and so next year, there'll be a Williamstown class that could graduate having never lost to St. Mary's, and a St. Mary's class having never defeated Williamstown, where it was the opposite for a little while in the series. Williamstown was much more physical. They have size up front, and St. Mary's had there that was going to be a deficiency of theirs early on. Williamstown was ready to run the ball and able to run the ball up the middle and almost at will against St. Mary's. So if you're St. Mary's, you've got to find other ways to defeat that. You've got to open up the field and spread the field a little bit to create holes for Moss and Long and make things happen that way. It wasn't happening that way for St. Mary's. They weren't able to run it quite the way they wanted it to. Williamstown was much more physical, and they came to win. And the reason they came to win is that Williamstown looks at their season each year looking at the big picture. They come in wanting to win the state championship. St. Mary's always comes in as a team that wants to beat Williamstown and then win a state championship. I'm sure St. Mary's fans remember all too well that one of the years in that six-game losing streak, Williamstown lost in the regular season to St. Mary's back in 2014. Williamstown came back and won the state title in that three-overtime thriller at Wheeling Island Stadium big picture. This game just feels like the focal point on St. Mary's schedule, whereas Williamstown comes in looking like a team that wants to win a state title. And part of that is because Williamstown comes into this game and they make themselves the aggressor. St. Mary's does not make themselves the aggressor in this game. They wait until things happen to them and then they react. They have had their wins in this series, I'll give them that, but at the same time, Williamstown has had far more success in the last 25 years and it's because they are the aggressors. The script flipped for PHS in a 60-36 loss to Hurricane. PHS led the game 29-28 at the half. They were outscored 32-7 in the second half. Bryson Singer split time at quarterback with David Parsons. He ran for 274 yards and four touchdowns for the Big Reds. So for PHS, you have to wonder after Mitch Owens saw some time at quarterback two weeks ago, then Parsons last week, are they really looking to make Singer the full-time feature back? I think it's starting to look that way, like they're at least exploring some possibilities. Hurricane, though, just had 457 yards of total offense, and uh, even on a night where you score 30 you're not going to win if that's what you give up defensively. Four turnovers as well for PHS dogged the Big Reds in that 60-36 to loss, and it ended their winning streak at three games. So they finish up the first half of the season at 3-2. and two. Uh, Parkersburg South finishes the first half at 1-4. and four. They lost their third straight in a game that got away from them late in a 56-28 to loss to Bridgeport. South turned it over four times. Three of those were second-half interceptions. South had pulled to within one touchdown late. They had a chance late to make it a one-touchdown game on the final play of the third quarter, but a drive stalled on a fourth and goal situation, and the Bridgeport took advantage of three second-half turnovers, score, interception, score. A couple of those sequences went like that. So for Parkersburg South, they now have to go 4-1 and one to go 500 this year. And for a team that went to the state semifinals last year, this is, I don't think, where they expected to be at this point of the season. Now, this is the second team this year that's pounded South with a running game. South contained Bridgeport a lot longer than they did Cabell Midland, uh, because South was in the game against Bridgeport for three and a half quarters. That's a really good Bridgeport team, by the way. They've gone away from the stick eye that they ran for decades there, and they've gone to a single-wing offense. It's basically the same thing, just deconstructed a little bit. Similar principles, just getting more speed to the outside. The blocking schemes are crisp. They do the little things right, and that's why Bridgeport dominates the way they do. 
But for a team like that that's going to control the clock and you know how they play and you know how they win and that's how they win, you just can't give them the free opportunities that South gave them. The big things systemically that are wrong with the South team this year, last year's South team took the ball away twice as much as they coughed it up and they outgained everybody but Martinsburg. This year's team has only outgained Woodrow Wilson and again the turnovers. The turnover margin does not favor South and it is almost double digits in terms of being a discrepancy. I believe it's 10. I haven't looked the stats yet this week, but I believe they've given it up 10 more times than they've taken it away. Whereas last year, it was double digits in the opposite direction. And I believe by the end of the year, it was a two to one margin in the opposite direction. And one of those problems feeds into the other. They're giving teams opportunities by giving them extra possessions and by continuing to cough up the ball and come up empty in their possessions. Of course, when your possessions end in turnovers, you're not scoring. That keeps your yardage low and your point totals low. So we know that South offense can be potent. They just have to hang on to the ball and finish drives. If they hang on to the ball and finish drives, then you're going to see them outgain people. Then that means they will have not turned the ball over. And they did such a good job through the first half of not doing that. And then the turnovers did them in later in that game. Richie County rolled over Ravenswood, and they got the game they needed out of Gus Morrison. 99 rush yards, three rushing touchdowns, and receiving score. The Rebels put up 367 total yards of offense in a blowout win against Ravenswood. That's the kind of muscle that Richie County needs to flex and the way they need to get their playmakers involved. Morrison, I don't think you can look at the yardage totals. I think you can look at what he does per carry. Teams like that, the small school teams, yards per carry, I think, for your skill players is just such a more telling statistic than yards. 99 rush yards, but again, he ran for three touchdowns and got another one, and he was part and a very big part of a collaborative effort for the Ritchie County Rebels. They got right with a big win, and they got the type of game that they needed. Ripley edge Marietta, just a season full of close games for the Tigers. They lost 28-26. to Tony Munoz had five grabs for 92 yards, and he also returned a kick 96 yards for a touchdown. Uh, so Marietta doesn't go to 500. They were hoping to go to 3-3. Three and three. They go to the playoffs at 2-4. and four. Of course, every team makes a tournament this year in Ohio, and Marietta will have Wilmington this week in their first playoff game in some time. So that's some excitement for the Tigers, and they knew this was a team goal at the beginning of the year. They knew that that goal was reached, and no matter what, they would get to that goal. They won a couple close ones. They lost some close ones. Probably a better team than 2-4 would indicate. And this is a team that if they go one and done in the playoffs, by rule, you've got until the middle of November in Ohio to play 10 games. Would not surprise me if they take a week off and then they go play three more people, if they indeed are not able to get by Wilmington. And that's a big if, because this is a good team. They've got some talented pieces, and who knows what they could do. But again, they are certainly able to play more games. So say they get knocked out and go one and done, PHS and South are both going to have a pretty good option locally if they need to fill holes in their schedule later in the year because Marietta is a team that'll come and play you even though they've already played PHS this year South I could see South playing Marietta why not if they've got some games to give and uh, I'm sure they'll play them why wouldn't you play them uh, for one you know you're giving your seniors a full season and for two that's three more games of experience that your underclassmen can get so it's a no brainer if you're healthy and if you've got the will to do it and the time to do it go get three games in absolutely so here's hoping Marietta doesn't have that happen for them here's hoping Marietta makes a bit of a playoff run. Jason Cho, his staff worked very hard over there, and his players worked very hard, and they got a good effort from Tony Munoz last week, and a lot of other cast members as well, but Marietta was not able to make it happen, so they go to 2-4 and four after that loss. Buffalo rolled over Tyler Consolidated, handing them their second straight loss. Really a sloppy game, 
both teams turned the ball over four times each. Tyler had seven penalties for 46 yards. Buffalo with nine for 75. Buffalo outgained Tyler four to one. It's hard to win games when you're averaging barely over two yards per play, and that's what Tyler Consolidated's numbers look like. So Tyler will be looking for a bounce back win after two straight losses. A couple other games that aren't necessarily in this area that we talked about a little bit last week. Dodridge and Wirt. Dodridge beat Wirt in a battle of unbeatens. We knew Wirt's record was a bit like fool's gold, but they still played hard, especially in the first half. That was one of those deals where Wirt's good, but they're just not as mature, and they don't have the talent to stick with the Doddridge for four quarters, and then Fort Fry routed Wheeling Central, shut out Wheeling Central. So, uh, they go into the playoffs at Ohio at 6-0. They really think they got a chance to run the table and win the whole thing. We'll see what Fort Fry is able to do in the Ohio playoffs. Losses for Frontier and River in the regular season finales for both of those schools. The Pilots fell 27-25 to Shadyside, so their season bookended by losses to Bel Air at the beginning and Shadyside at the end. And Frontiers was a bit more of a surprise, perhaps, as Frontier went into West Virginia to play Gilmer County, and it's Gilmer County that came away with a 26-18 win over Frontier. Gilmer County moves to 3-2 and two with that win. Frontier ends the regular season at 4-2 and two and with back-to-back losses. So Frontier came in high-flying just a week and a half ago in New Martinsville. 4-0. and oh, The Blue Eagles humbled them, and I don't know if this was still a bit of a team that was stung from that or maybe physically injured in that game. We'll find out more. So we hope to talk to Russ Morris this week and see what the deal was there. But either way, if they're not awake, they certainly are now. And they'll have a chance to go to the playoffs and host their first playoff game, I believe, in school history. I believe this is the first time Frontier has hosted a playoff game in school history. That was a goal of theirs, to get to host a game. And they're going to host one on Friday as they will take on Fairfield Christian at Lancaster. Ohio playoffs this week. We'll talk much more about that here in just a few minutes. Schedule changes for you. PHS still looking for a game. They don't have a game this week. The Big Reds really don't have a lot of options, unfortunately, right now. Parkersburg South will play Lindsley this week. It's a 7 o'clock kickoff at the Erickson Hall Sports Facility. And those two schedule changes do kind of tie in with one another. Capital was supposed to play South. PHS was supposed to play South Charleston. Those two teams will play each other, and they'll do it on Wednesday night before the next COVID map comes out so they can get a game in. Kanawha County schools have just been dying to play games, and they'll play Wednesday as Capital and South Charleston play. And as a result, of that, Parkersburg South will play Lindsley, and PHS might be left on the outside looking in. Tyler Consolidated will play Cameron. They were supposed to play Buffalo this week, but that game got moved ahead a week because Tyler couldn't play Tulsa last week, so it'll be Cameron filling that gap as uh, Tyler-Buffalo happened last week, so Cameron fills that slot in Tyler's schedule, and Tyler will host that game on Friday, and then Ritchie County won't get to play South Harrison because Harrison County has moved into the gold category, I believe, and instead, Ritchie will pick up Moorefield, and that's going to be a 6 o'clock kickoff on Friday. I would imagine to allow Moorefield to not get home so stinking late from that game. Let those kids get home a little earlier. But a 6 o'clock kick on Friday between Richie and Moorefield. A really early kick time. We don't often see that kind of a kick time. Richie's definitely a team that's looking to prove themselves. They're 3-2 and two after that bounce back win. Moorefield is 2-1 and one looking to get games in and show why they belong in the top 10. They were getting votes there earlier. Have been out of that poll in recent weeks. But again, an interesting matchup. Two teams from across the state. Richie and Moorefield, 6 p.m. Friday. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. The Ohio playoffs start this week and a number of local teams have opted in. Some of them won't play until next week because of the way the brackets line up. Many will play this week. Earlier this week, I had a chance to visit with Marietta head coach Jason Schaub. His Marietta Tigers play Wilmington this week. All right, so she's been in so many close games this season. What is 
has that taught you about this team and this group going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, our kids have been extremely resilient. Started off first game, we started off pretty sloppy, um, but I think we've improved each week. And there have been multiple times throughout the season where teams in the past might have quit and folded, and uh, our kids keep battling. We've now multiple scores um, in a few games, and we battle, and we, and we, we bring down to the wire. Um, we haven't been able to pull a couple of those out, but um, our kids are pretty resilient. Is it easier when you don't have to coach the mental toughness aspect of things, and that's kind of already there? 100%, and uh, that's what we sort of talked about with the kids uh, a few weeks ago. I think our, our work ethic and I think our discipline is coming as well, and so those things are there, so now we can actually teach the game of football, which is uh, really rewarding as a coach. And it, it, it's, it's a different type of atmosphere, but uh, it's, it's good. You've had a couple games you've won by a couple points, a couple games you've lost by a couple points, but to be in all these games, what has that taught this team that will prepare them for the playoffs? Uh, we're definitely battle-tested. If you're going to go to the playoffs and uh, if you're going to win a game or two or make a run, um, you're going to be in close games. And so we've been there, we've done that, we've we've been behind and we've haven't been able to pull it out. We've been behind and we've won. So we are battle-tested, and I think that that'll prepare us more for the playoff time. The weapon that Tony Munoz has become for you guys, last week he was able to return a kick for a touchdown. Uh, you get him the ball in a few different areas. What has that meant uh, to the production of this team and to your offense? Tony Munoz is a special athlete, and he's one of those kids we, we have a touch chart up top, and uh, we try to script our first 10 to 15, 20 plays in the first half and second half. And uh, we make sure he's getting about 60% of the touches um, early on, especially, and uh, and go from there. And obviously, it changes a little bit depending on what the defense gives us. But like Ripley, for example, we, he got a bunch of touches early on, and they ended up doubling him every one second half. But he's a special athlete. We try to get the ball in his hands as much as we can. And he's starting Reese Gerber, quarterback, for first season. Now it's an abbreviated regular season, but how has he progressed from the preseason through six weeks of this season? Reese is an awesome kid, and I'll be honest with you, he's he's far exceeded expectations. He's on pace for over 2,100 yards in the season passing. For a kid who hasn't played quarterback since his freshman year, as a JV kid who was sort of winging it, um, I'm very, very impressed. Extremely coachable. He's a tough kid, mentally tough, and he's been a really good leader for us. What's line play been like on both sides of the ball? Uh, it's been good. Um, we have a couple veterans back that have started a couple years. We have a couple, a few young guys as well. I think that we're, we're progressing sort of like our, our team. We're progressing each week. Um, I think as the game goes on, you look at our, our offensive defensive line, I feel like we get better as time goes on. So I don't know if that's conditioning. I don't know if that's mental toughness. Um, but I feel like we've, we've done a better job control of the line of scrimmage as the game's going on. So uh, that's definitely a good sign as well. Your defense has kept you in games this year. That has to give you a better feeling as you watch on from the sidelines. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think our defense has improved as the season's gone on. And the, the Ripley game, for example, they returned a kickoff return for a touchdown. But other than that, we gave up three touchdowns. A couple of them were long runs. They've been pretty pretty pleased with how they played so far this year. Looking at your playoff opponent, you've got Wilmington in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, do they remind you of anybody you've played this year? And if so, how? They're a little bit of a different beast. Uh, and that's what we, we were talking about at the coaching meeting on Sunday. And we said it's really not like anyone we've played so far. I would say that the closest comparison to anyone we've played in the recent history is Cambridge. Um, they're, they're physical up front. They have uh, pretty decent athletes on the outside. Um, we need to be able to stop the run first off defensively and try to make them pass. Um, but it's, it's a winnable game. I think we have a chance, and uh, that's all you can ask for at this point in the season. One of the things you said preseason about the fact you already knew you were going to the playoffs based on the format is that's a team goal that you knew you had in the bag. Did that help you and this group focus on other things and, and maybe grow in some areas where you wouldn't have grown otherwise? I think so. It helped keep focus and it helped keep people dialed in, kept people dialed in and that's what we talked about winning our first playoff game. That's what we talked about a lot all year and uh, we just wanted to set ourselves up so we had a, a winnable game and I think we do a 16 versus 17 game so we have a chance 
this is what we sort of worked for all year. So we need to try to execute and do the best we can and try to come up with that win. We're actually traveling to Wilmington. It's, it's going to be interesting with a three-hour bus ride, but it's, it's still, it's a playoff atmosphere. So we're, we talked about as a staff, we're going to try to treat it just like a, a regular playoff game um, where we're the eight versus one or seven versus two or whatever the situation and, uh, and treat it just like that. So in the future, we get to that point, we're prepared and that's not something new. It's a bit of a different look this year with the playoffs coming six games in and the possibility to play more afterward. How do you keep young people motivated? Because for all of our lives, it's been a buildup to the playoffs. And now you go into it thinking that this team could get eliminated in a playoff game, but still there are games afterwards. How do you keep the focus there? Has that been a challenge? I'll tell you, we have a, this is a different group of kids um, we have this year. And I know a record might not indicate it, but they're a really, really good group. And so um, early on in the season, I pulled the seniors in um, and I tried to pretty consistently. And I just said, listen, it's your guys' team. Do you guys want to play after the playoff? Do you want to stop? Whatever whatever you guys want to do. And they sort of looked at me like weird. And uh, they said, is that really a question, coach? And so they want to play. And so if they want to play, we're going to take advantage of as much as we can, give them the best experience we possibly can, and uh, make sure we get 10 games in. What do you have to do to get it done against Wilmington? Um, I think it starts up front. We need to be able to control the line of scrimmage. They're pretty physical up front, so we need to make sure we maintain the line of scrimmage as much as we can. Um, and I think our play-action passing game could be there potentially. Um, but I think it all starts at the line. That's Marietta head coach Jason Schaub. Again, his Marietta Tigers take on Wilmington this week in the first round of Ohio's playoffs. I wanted to visit with Frontier head coach Russ Morris in time for the podcast. They have a game this weekend as well. Wasn't able to make it happen in time for the podcast, but if you want to hear my sit-down with Russ Morris, you can listen to that this Friday on Countdown to Kickoff on all of our company stations. Let's take a look at the games we'll have on our stations this week. It doesn't look like PHS is going to get an opponent for this week. It might change after we release this podcast, but if they do get a game that will be on 98.1 WVAM, our true oldies channel. Light Rock 93R has St. Mary's and Wirt County for the time being. The Blue Devils looking to bounce back from their loss to Williamstown, and Wirt County looking to bounce back from their loss to Doddridge County, who, by the way, announced on Tuesday that all in person classes will be suspended there and all athletic activities are off because of some COVID issues there. So it's St. Mary's and Wirt on Light Rock 93R on Friday. On V96 9, it's Parkersburg South and Lindsley. As we said earlier, it was supposed to be South and Capital. That was a game that was postponed from the opening week of the season, but Capital will be playing South Charleston on Wednesday night as we tape this, and it'll be South and Lindsley on Friday, and then Tyler Consolidated and Cameron can be found on WXCR, 92.3 WXCR and WXCR.com. That was supposed to be Tyler and Buffalo, but that game shifted ahead a week, and so Cameron replaces Buffalo on Tyler Consolidated's schedule in the October 9th slot, so it just goes to show you how much these schedules have changed and how flexible everybody has had to be this high school football season, just to make sure these things can happen. Games of the week this week that I've got my eye on. How about Ritchie County and Moorfield? It's homecoming in Ellenboro as the Rebels take on Moorfield. An odd time, a 6 o'clock kickoff time, which makes sense because Moorfield's a long way away and after a high school football game, you'd have to think they wouldn't be really headed back home until 10 o'clock, so you're looking to be back 1, 1 o'clock. Because of COVID, there are not as many places to stop late at night, late into the evening if you need to get a bite to eat, if you need to take your players to go to the restroom, things like that. A lot of places are not open to the hours they're usually open. So for a lot of reasons, it's good that they have that kickoff time. But what will it do? That game's going to be played a lot more in the daytime than we're used to seeing games played this time of year. It really will look like a late August, early September game with the amount of daylight that will be played. Because with the 6 o'clock kickoff, you're going to have most of your first half in the daylight. And it's two good teams that 
are from different parts of the state meeting. Uh, it's aggressive scheduling on Ritchie County's part. I really like that, and I think that's kind of a neat way to go about that. I think that's kind of a neat thing for Ritchie County to have, and for them to go out and do that and to book that game. Uh, Moorfield's trying to prove something. Ritchie's trying to prove something. The Rebels are 3-2 and two halfway home. Moorfield's is trying to get games in at 2-1. and one. I, I think that'll be a fun clash and a good test for both of those teams. It's playoff time in Ohio as Frontier takes on Fairfield Christian out of Lancaster. It's the first time the Frontier Cougars have ever hosted a home playoff game. They've not made a ton of playoff appearances in the school's history, but they're hosting a playoff game. They're excited to do so. And again, after I release this podcast, I'll have a chance to go visit with Russ Morris, the head coach of the Cougars, and we'll get the story from Cougar Nation and have that on Countdown to Kickoff on our company stations this week. I'm excited to talk to him and see what's going on. Things have been tough that they started out 4-0, and then they were just knocked on the rear end, seemingly by that loss to Magnolia a couple weeks ago. They have not responded in the same way since then, with a loss to Gilmer County last week. So we'll see if they can pull things together. Not sure if they're dealing with some injuries, not sure if their pride is a little bit wounded after going 4-0, and then all of a sudden falling back to earth after the Magnolia game. And we said that on the show last week. Maybe it was countdown to kickoff last week, but either way, normally a late September loss wouldn't be quite the eye-opener or the earth-shattering event for a team. But the way things are this year, that happened in week five of a six-week season. I didn't really leave you a whole lot of time to figure things out and to get your mojo back headed into the playoffs. So the Cougars started out red-hot, but they're not going to be going into the playoffs the way they wanted to, despite the fact they earned a higher seed, and they're going to be hosting Fairfield Christian out of Lancaster. We'll see if they can get their groove back, or we'll see if some of the same problems that dogged them the last couple weeks rear up again in the playoffs. Marietta takes on Wilmington. We visited with head coach Jason Schaub with the Tigers earlier, and one of the things he told me earlier in the season off the air, maybe even on the air, but he said to me earlier in the year, what we like about the ability to opt into the playoffs, and I'm paraphrasing here, what we like about the ability to opt into the playoffs is you're probably going to get somebody that is about record-wise and skill-wise where you are. So as a 2-4 and four ball club, they're a 17 seed going against a 16 seed in a large tournament. So this Wilmington team, as far as their record goes, as far as how they've been seeded, a pretty even match for Marietta. So they've got a puncher's chance to go in and win a playoff game. That's a big, big thing for a program. He also told me off the air that once their season ends, once their playoff run ends, they do plan to go try to play 10 games this season and try to find opponents to play 10 games with. So as other teams get knocked out in Ohio, there'll be opportunities to play and they can play up to the middle of November. They can come into West Virginia and play games. As I've said earlier, if Parkersburg or Parkersburg South has a team fall out at some point this year that they were supposed to play, Marietta sitting right there is a pretty good option and I would not be surprised to see somebody take that. They're going to get 10 games some how. We'll see if they make a playoff run and they do it that way. So Marietta and Wilmington tonight. St. Mary's and Wirt County, how do both of those teams respond after losses last week? Especially Wirt County going up against Doddridge County. St. Mary's a little stung after going up against their rival and losing that game. We'll see how that goes for the Blue Devils. And speaking of their rival, Williamstown, they go to Summers County and they play the Summers County Bobcats in a matchup of three and one clubs. I think this is the perfect time of the year for this game to happen and these two teams to square off. These are two teams that need the challenge and for Williamstown, they just got the adrenaline of winning a rivalry game last week. We'll see where this takes them, and I'm interested to see how this game turns out. A lot of good games among area teams this week. Before we go today, I want to leave you with this thought. I watched the replay of the St. Mary's Williamstown game from last Friday, and one of the things that popped out to me almost immediately was the lack of social distancing in the crowd, the lack of mask wearing in the crowd. And believe me, I'm from St. Mary's. 
I know who's related to who for the most part, or I know who needs to be around whomever. There was a whole back row of bleachers, and then eventually a couple rows ahead of that that were just packed solid with people from multiple households. And the idea of social distancing is that your household, the people you've been with, stay in your bubble, and the people from another household stay in their bubble. And it was on the Williamstown side, too. There were not a lot of people spread all that far apart. A little bit better because they had some more room to do so. It was a little bit better. But for the most part, almost no one was wearing masks. And I know that people were eating. Concessions were open at games. And that's one thing. You're, you're eating food. That's one thing. But by and large, if you're sitting there, and even if you're outdoors enjoying a game, you're with people that are not from where you've been in the last several months, in most cases. And you definitely need to be wearing facial protections. You have to wear them when you're in games. Some places enforce that rule stricter than other places. And for those of you who have not been outside this area, let me tell you how it is in some places. I have done a game this year in Moundsville, John Marshall, where I was not allowed to work inside the press box because the county health department would not allow us to work in the press box. We had to work from temporary tables set up and temporary spots set up outside their brand new state-of-the-art press box. Their press box is less than two years old, and we couldn't go in because the Marshall County Health Department had us work from outside that press box. And I did another game at Woodrow Wilson this year where concessions were not open, and not even for drinks, which you'd think would be the safest thing to sell, bottled drinks. Just have somebody take those out of a refrigerator or a cooler. They could be wearing rubber gloves and hand those to you. You take their money, and as simple as that. And at a place where there were no water fountains, and not having bottled water even available for people, I would think would cause a greater hazard than any potential virus exposure, or a greater danger than any potential virus exposure, but that's not here nor there for me to say. I'm not health department. But either way, for those of you who have not been out of this area, and by this area, I mean the Mid-Ohio Valley to consume high school football this season, that's how it is some places. You go into one venue and it's not the same, and the expectations are not the same, and the regulations you're under are not the same necessarily. It's a lot stricter some places. It's a little more lax some places. It was a bit jarring to me to see people at the St. Mary's Williamstown game, a game that's being televised, a game where people back home could see you and look at the optics of what you were doing, and still, no distancing and, and the mask protocol was really being ignored. I sat there and watched that and I thought, you know, I could go into the podcast and just really ream both of those fan bases for that. But I thought, why? What good does that serve? So the question that I want to throw out to you, and I'm not even going to propose an answer for it. The question I want to throw out there before we sign off today, what needs to happen? What needs to be taken away and from whom before the majority of people realize the issue and the severity of coronavirus and that this season is hanging by a pretty slim thread. Because if you're looking outside this region, there are a lot of places where the football season has been impacted a lot more than it has here in the Mid-Ohio Valley. By and large, the Mid-Ohio Valley's only impact has been to canceled games involving teams from this area when trying to book games against other teams from other parts of the state. And I get that if your opinions of COVID-19 on a national or world level don't line up with a lot of people's, that that's one thing. I'm not here to tell you how to feel about that issue. But in your own state, in West Virginia, there are schools that haven't been playing because of the health regulations in their county and the number of COVID cases in that county. Then there are schools like Clay Battelle in Monongalia County, a rural area not far outside Morgantown city limits, but at the same time a rural community in their own community where they've not been able to play a game yet this year. As we sit here 
in early October, Clay Battelle has not played a football game. It's a program that gets into the playoffs more often than not. They've not hit the field yet this year for a game. They've had a number of setbacks. They've had games that were postponed and canceled the day of the game. They've been putting 14-day quarantine periods because of maybe one or two cases there. They've had a really hard go of it. Their head coach, Ryan Wilson, said to Channel 12 News earlier this week, quote, my kids deserve a medal. They've done everything they've been asked to do. They've practiced. They've been ready to go for a long time. Mon County, where Clay Battelle is housed, was in the red, not able to do anything. And now that they're able to practice again, they're able to play as the county's gone green. The school itself has had activities shut down. Doddridge County has had a bit of a spike out there, so their athletics have been shut down. But we live in an area, and particularly these two fan bases, Pleasance County, where there has been an active case at Pleasance County Middle School and St. Mary's High School both, and then Wood County, where there have been three different elementary schools that had positive cases reported within the last two weeks. But for whatever reason, it hasn't hit home enough to those folks and to a lot of folks yet. The president of the United States came down with coronavirus and then transmitted it to a lot of his closest advisors. So you're seeing that on a national level. You're seeing what's going on on a local and state level. And largely this region has not been impacted. But we could wake up tomorrow and there's an outbreak at a school that hits close to home for you. So my question to you to think about is this. Who needs to get this? What needs taken away or shut down? And how does this need to impact you for people to take it seriously? And I think the last part of that might be the most key part of that question. I think the reason that a lot of people aren't taking this seriously is that it doesn't impact them directly. And that's more of a statement about ourselves as a society than it is about anything else. The fact that we need this to impact us directly for us to take it seriously. Because a pandemic's not going to look like something out of Andromeda strain or out of the movies. It's not going to be something where things gradually get worse. People are walking out of businesses and coughing into the streets and then there's people dropping over and killing over like flies. That's not how this looks. How this looks is what you're seeing. This person's sick, and then who have they been around? Maybe that person gets sick, and then they spread it to other people in their inner circle, and pretty soon you have an outbreak, and a large one at that, if we don't take some proper precautions. And I'm not sitting here saying we need to shut everything down. I'm sitting here saying we need to take some precautions to preserve the things that we have. Because if we, as we've seen in other parts of the state, they're lucky to get on the field. And they're lucky to enjoy the things that we've been able to enjoy here in the Mid-Ohio Valley for a few weeks now. But there's a lot of places where they've not had those things. So just take the proper precautions and do that to protect what we have and what we've been able to enjoy. I can't tell you to care about other people. You either do or you don't. But I also don't think people realize just how thin that thread is that this season hangs by. A lot of people have gone to enormous lengths and have done a great job to make sure that we still have this season. Don't ruin those efforts by being selfish. If you haven't already, like us on Facebook, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. You can download us on SoundCloud, subscribe to us there, and download us on Apple Podcasts. Rate us and review us. We'll be back with a new episode next week. The Ohio Playoffs continue, and we continue for a push toward the playoffs in West Virginia. Thank you for joining us this week. My name is Eric Little, and we'll have another podcast for you next week. Enjoy the games, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening.